0: you for sitting, thank you for being here. So some of you know, an interesting thing happened. There were two communications out in the world about what was going to be talked about today. One was death, and the other one was taking refuge in sangha and working with karma that way. And so I didn't know who was going to show up, so I had to resolve them. And then it struck me that, fortunately, our Zen practice is about learning to die together. And I thought this should be easy then to resolve. When we've been talking about karma and coming here, we've been talking about karma over this practice period in the fall. And what it is to look at the roots and conditions of that karma and how the way that we're conditioned as beings, if we pay attention, we can see the arising. And if we watch the arising closely enough, we can begin to see the roots or the causes of that arising. And if we're patient and we stay intimate with it, we can watch it fall away and we can begin to understand the conditions of the falling away. Sometimes the conditions of the falling away is merely patience, but sometimes it requires a deeper attention to more wholesome practices that uproot the ones that are causing us suffering. But all of this is experienced, sometimes we don't, it happens under the surface and we don't even know what's happening, but other times we do experience it and it's painful to actually, even the, even the karma that is, and sometimes especially the karma, especially the conditioning that causes us suffering, is painful to let go of. we experience it sometimes as a death. That is because it is. It is a living being that has a life, has a trajectory, came together in a moment in time, and has lived a life. And so the self we wrap around it feels like a death. And so for us, when we're talking about how do you prepare for death when the body dies, it really isn't about waiting until then and saying, okay, now I know I'm going to die and I need to start thinking about what that's going to be. It's the practice of dying. It's the practice of looking at these karmic arisings that we think are who we are and going through the process of death. And we go through the process of death in small ways, and big ways, every single time this happens. So we talk about, especially the Rinzai lineage, talks a great deal about the great death. And the great death is this realization that there is no separate self that is operating. In a very real way, that is the, de- that is the death. The death of the body is. Um, it tends to be when we have a lot of anxiety, and you may you may see this for yourself that when we have a lot of anxiety about dying, it's the death of of this separate being that we think exists. What's going to happen to Greg? Greg's going to die. The body in and of itself, without that attachment, is living a very different existence. It's comfortable with its trajectory. I mean, it doesn't want, it's kind of dive out of the way if a bus is coming at it, but it self-preserves. But this existential anxiety of around death, this is not a body thing. This is a grasping thing. And so sometimes you'll see in Zen writings, there is only one death, the death of the self. After that, we realize that we've always been dependently co-arisen. We've always been arising and dying in every moment. It has always been this way. And the transition that happens for us is, is another expression of that transition. Certainly different. But not quite as cataclysmic as the separate self experiences it as. And so we practice this, and I'll come back to the other side of that. That's kind of the absolute position on it. There's another side, always. But this is, you know, this process we do together, because this is hard to do. You don't just sit down one day and say, okay, now I'm going to experience the arising and falling away of my karma and all of the pain of that. You might do that, but it's really hard to do. It was very hard for me to do. But when we come together and sit, then we're supporting each other. And this is an interesting practice to think, that the person sitting next to me is practicing dying. And that when someone is stuck, we use that word, someone is stuck in their conditioning, that part of that stuckness is the fear of dying. It's a fear of actually letting go of, it's a fear of grieving. It's a fear of falling into the swirl of the unknown. And so hopefully if we do that, a great compassion will arise for those who are stuck in their conditioning, because who wants to die? Who wants to go through the falling away of the self? None of us want to do that. We just have this little itch somewhere that says, there's something there that seems to be really important. This isn't working out on this side of dying, so maybe there's something that would work out on the other side of letting this go. There's an intuition, I think, in us who come to this, that dying to particular aspects of who we are allows us to live for life, opens us up to being, releases us from the stranglehold of our conditioning. And this isn't to say that when the conditioning, some conditioning really does fall away and it's kind of bye-bye, we don't really see it anymore. The fruits really do end. In other cases, they don't. They stick around and they keep coming into being. But what may die in that case is our need to grasp them. That we can kind of let them come up and fall away in every moment. So we're allowing, the, we're allowing impermanence. We're allowing the rising and falling. We're allowing no-self. We're allowing emptiness to happen. It's not a a state or a thing that's sitting there all the time. It's a dynamic process that we allow. So we allow our karma to rise and fall away. We allow it to be born and die, be born and die, be born and die. When I first came to this practice and I started to sense this request... To practice, the dying of the self. I had two responses to it. One was, good, finally I'm going to get rid of this bastard I'm tired of. I wanted to actively go after who I was. There was that response. The other response was, don't you dare ask that of me. I've been humiliated my whole life, and I've had to vanish and disappear. How dare you ask me to do it again by dying off? But that, neither one of these was what was being asked. I was not being asked to die off as a being. I was being asked to die off as a confused, grasping being so that I could come forward and live as a being. As a whole, complete being that I didn't even know who that person was. I had never seen that person. I had never, maybe I saw that person at two or three years old, but I don't remember. and i was being asked to come forward in that way and to be asked to come forward in that way and shed skin after skin after skin after skin sometimes too much to do sometimes joyful so there's this side but then there really is you know i'm 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 always reminded of that story of I should write this down and actually be able to reference it instead of it just being part of the verbal lore But the story of um, the monastic who had a son before he ordained and then his son died and they came to him and said your son has died and he wept profusely and they reminded him of the truth of death they said to him you know remember that we're all dependently co-arising here there is no separate self. You're the master. He was the, he was the head monk. You're the master of the community. Why are you crying? And he, and the, it's my favorite response maybe in all of Zen is yes, all of this is true and yet. So there is the, there is the truth I don't even know if I want to say truth. There is the clear experience of this one not being here in the way I thought. And yet, when we die, when people are close to us, when we have pain, when our, the self dies away, there's great sadness. There's great grief. And living into to use the intellectual understanding of dependent co-arising to drown the grief out of existence is not our way. Our way is to let the grief and the joy and everything come flooding in, and know that that too changes. That that follows the same rules as the self we've experienced. The same conditions, same marks of existence, the same fluidity of reality. And so what's this have to do with us taking refuge in Sangha? You already know the answer to this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. This practice together is what shows us the parts of us that we insist need to survive beyond their natural life. The ones that we hold on to, the little selves that we hold on to, white-knuckled and insist they need to keep going exactly as we understand them, exactly as they were born when we were three or six or nine. All the ways we were conditioned throughout our lives, the things we learned about society and about people, and all of these things that are causing harm, and we insist they keep surviving. And in insisting on their survival, we insist on our harm. We insist on our confusion. And so, beloved sangha steps forward one at a time, different people from different places, and they hopefully, skillfully, sometimes not, but that's okay. Sometimes unskillful mirroring has been the best for me. It kind of shocked me. <laughs> um, so maybe it was skillful. The um, It shows us where we are. And so we go to the... And then we have rolls. We go to these rolls, and we frighteningly hit that bell. And it's so terrifying. And then we we actually master the bell by dying to the bell. We master the bell by living for the bell, but dying to the bell is living for the bell. That's the same, that's the exact same motion. To live for something completely is to die to it completely. And the bell is, the bell has done its job for us. Not that it has a job for us, but we need it. The bell has done its job for us when we have died to it. Service has done its job for us when we have died to it. The Kokio has done its job for us when we have died to our voice. Instead of trying to have some idea of what our voice is supposed to be, and what it's supposed to look like, and what people are thinking about, it and if I, and all of that, at some point we die to our voice. This is the voice that is. I don't really have any say over it. And this is the, the Bodhisattva vow emerges right out of this. To die to something, to live for something, is to serve something. To serve something completely is to die to it. So to live for the benefit of all beings, we have to die a thousand little deaths, karmic deaths, to live for the, to truly and completely live for the benefit of all beings, and to live for the benefit of all beings completely is to insist on our dying a thousand deaths. The practice is taking up when we begin to live for each other. Really vow to live for each other. Not, I'm going to live for you when I'm kind of done doing the stuff I want to do. I'm going to start living for you when I do the practice for me for a while and get to a point where it's then time for me to start living for you. Living for you may require that I am taking care of myself completely. In fact, it does. But because in living for another in dying to another, I have to completely take care of myself. This is the vehicle that is able to do that. But it doesn't, there's a reason dana is the first paramita. It doesn't come from this kind of selfish, like, I'm going to get every, I'm going to get, this is a very confused position, I'm going to get all the ducks in a row just right, get just the right people in place, figure out my karma to, I won't get to Z, but I'll get to Q, and once I get to Q, I'll be ready to start living for everyone. I have experience with this, that's why I can talk about it. (laughs) So it creates this dynamic of Sangha where we're dying to our grasping and we're living for each other and others are living for us and dying to themselves. And then we take up these roles they show us how we can't. All these roles of service. And then we vow. And then we vow that we are, is it noon or now? When do, am I supposed to stop noon? Great. Um, then we take up vows. Completely insane ones that are not possible. And and it's wonderful that they're not possible because they keep us on the track of not resolving, or, and by resolving I mean coming to an end of, not coming to an end of serving, dying, living for. They insist on living that life. I am always looking at little beings that don't want to live for the benefit of all beings. My job is to look at and take care of all those little little beings that just don't think it's wise to live for the benefit of all beings. I think that's a dumb idea. And... um, And so you trick them by serving them. (laughs) (laughs) You trick all of them by doing nothing but serving them and taking care of them and living for them and renouncing the part of me that doesn't want to live for the ones who don't want to live for others. And they start to quiet down. Sometimes, I don't know about you all, sometimes I get tired of thinking. (laughs) We know all of this already in our bodies. Our bodies are not confused. They are quite confident in the, um, at least my experience of mine, quite confident in life. That said, there are so many things confusing us. You throw these platitudes out and like, you know, the body is really comfortable with life, but the body has been um, harmed so much that it, it's not clear. The kind of overlay of the schemas, standpoints, positions that we've laid over the body. Make it feel like the body doesn't trust. Doesn't trust life, doesn't trust its death, doesn't trust its natural arc of existence. But I, I, I really believe it does that it is settled into this life fully and completely. And that we have to care for each other. This is um, a very tender space, what we're doing, of caring for each other and seeing what is disallowing the wisdom of the body as a tender, related being to just live its life. And this is, this is the, um, this tender, related living of life is the outcome of the great death. Which sounds so cataclysmic. And yet releases us into something much softer, even when life is not soft. And I watch myself, I watch myself harden. doesn't really matter, the situation, it doesn't matter if what I'm facing is really dangerous or not really dangerous or just frustrating or whatever it is. When I harden against it, suddenly it becomes this really terrible thing this really dangerous thing, this thing I have to figure out or control or whatever it is. Now, sometimes those are um, truly dangerous events, and other times they are not, and we have to discern that with a practical mind. But even for me, when I found I am in a situation that feels like real danger, leaving the reality of my body behind has never helped. Leaving the body that is good at death, that is good at connection, that is good at um, life, that is good at coming into being and dissolving and being fluid and changing constantly, literally constantly, leaving that wisdom behind has never helped me. And so zazen, we sit zazen, and we experience this, we support each other, we challenge each other. You know, sometimes this is a very challenging, just because there's this soft experience of, of, sometimes soft experience, softer experience of what life feels like, maybe settled or gentle is a way to talk about it. It doesn't mean that this practice always feels that way. We do difficult things for this to happen. You sit upright and still for a very long time. People are asked to be Jisha, which really, you look at that role and you think, oh, I want to be Jisha. No, you don't, actually. Um, <laughs> Jisha is a, is a hard job. Eno is a hard job. People look at these roles and think, I want to be that someday. These are difficult jobs because everything is coming at you. Projections are coming at you. You have to get, you have to get the, the if you're the Jisha, then the teacher is, where were you? Vegeta is an interesting job. It's an interesting role because every one of these roles is upping the ante of living for others. That's just that's what they're doing. I mean, they're mirroring us too, but they're upping the ante of living for others. By the time you're a Jisha, you're supposed to just be thinking about the teacher all the time. This isn't because there's anything all that special about the teacher, I promise. It is just the role of not considering yourself first all the time. And by first, that's why it's often held out for a while. Eno is a job of not thinking about yourself first all the time. Tenzo certainly is a job of not thinking about yourself first all the time. So these get... You kind of move into it, and then you're suddenly thrust into this space of um, dying to the things that don't allow me to live for. The role at this moment, and all the beings I'm supposed to be serving. Because if it was up to any of us, we wouldn't come here and serve all these people. Really. If you walked in the door, it certainly was not on my mind. Did anybody walk in the door saying, I'm here to serve all these strangers. That's actually why I'm being called to this practice, is to be in service of all these strangers. I came in being service of me. And then a thousand deaths. So we will sit Zazen... As we sit together, as we practice together, when we can, let's hold in our hearts that we are taking on something difficult and profound, that it is not easy to go through this in the way that we are, where we're choosing to let aspects of our conditioning fall away when other people can't do it let's remember how hard it is for us they're struggling with a different thing that might be easy for me i was i i have a um, what's often called a high grit you know people have different levels of grit i'm considered a high grit personality the problem with a high grit personality is you have to really work on compassion people have different things that you have to work on Right. Some people are really compassionate, and they have to work on other things. And everybody has a thing. But for me, it was to remember that just because something wasn't difficult for me, doesn't mean it's not difficult for a lot of other people. And so to live into um, to live into sensitively holding one another's dying. This is really good practice, because someday we will really have to hold... Some of us have already had to do this, but we'll have to hold the actual dying of someone. And then um, all the anxiety and craziness and turmoil and everything of a person's life comes forward like that. And so we can hold this together and... um, in our zazen and in our relationships to each other. And keep our backs straight. And I'm using that in the full breadth of the... Sometimes we can get too... um, We can get so gentle that we stop making requests of each other to be upright. Sometimes we... And get so upright that we stop being gentle. All right, that's enough of me talking. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.